Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic, biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website, nbbctx.org. There you can find more information about who we are, additional resources, and links to our social media network, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, this morning we are going to conclude the sermon series where we have spent the bulk of the summer called Who's Your One? This morning is the final sermon in that series, and I want you to know I have been challenged through the summer as we have looked at these uh, one-on-one conversations where Jesus has encountered someone and changed their life forever. I have been challenged to seek God about who my one is, and praying for an opportunity to engage them with the gospel. I hope you've been uh, challenged in the same way. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of the most uh, well-known conversations and encounters in all of Scripture, and that is Jesus when he encountered the woman at the well. And so I've I've preached this passage before uh, as we've looked at it uh, pertaining to the issue of worship. Uh, and and in, in John chapter 4, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about worship, the who and the, the why and the how of worship. But this morning, I want us to look at um, John chapter 4 a little different, and I want us to see it for what it is, and that is Jesus is pursuing the heart of someone who is far from God in order to win them and make a worshiper out of them. So worship is still the end game, but it begins with evangelism. It begins with sharing the good news. And so with that in mind, I want you to grab your Bible, go to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 4. So uh, just a few weeks ago, Colin Sosby, our student minister, he shared a message out of the the one-to-one encounter Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And this has happened just previous to what we're going to be looking at. And so um, it's, it's uh, out of that, Jesus is now uh, traveling from Judea to Galilee. Galilee is directly north of Judea, only separated by Samaria. And to the east, you have the Jordan River, and to the west, you have the Mediterranean Sea. And so those places are important as we navigate uh, through this morning. So um, again, Jesus is leaving uh, Judea. He is traveling north to Galilee. Pick it up with me at verse 4 of John chapter 4. And he had, talking to Jesus, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, that's noon. Uh, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Uh, For the disciples, his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and 
drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. Right there, the conversation takes a bit of a turn. Things uh, start to shift here. Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, that line's not meant to be funny, but I do find some comedy there in the sense that he tells, basically, it completely exposes everything about her, and the only thing she could say is, I perceive that there may be something different going on here. I perceive that you are a prophet. You're able to see something kind of unique. And in verse 20, it says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. In other words, when Christ gets here, He'll decide if you're right or if I'm right. He'll fix it. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. It's amazing. Let's pray. Father, um, we, we want to stand, Father, on the authority of your word today. And God, we confess that your word is living and it is, uh, it is exactly what we need this morning. And so, Father, I am asking that in Jesus' name, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate your word for us, God. Give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it, Father. I pray that your spirit would move in this room, God, that our hearts would be open um, to the truth presented in your word. Thank you for your word. And God, would you use it now to transform us and, and move us more and more into the image of Christ. We pray that in his name. Amen. So leading into John chapter 4, we talked just a moment ago how Jesus had just finished this conversation with Nicodemus. And in that conversation, Jesus tells him, you must be born again. Now, the interesting thing about that is Nicodemus didn't come and ask, Jesus, what must I do? That wasn't a question he said. Matter of fact, he didn't even ask a question. He approached Jesus, if you remember, he called him rabbi and said, uh, obviously God is with you. We've seen these wonderful things that you're doing. Nicodemus comes and kind of pays him a compliment, but Jesus blows right through it, goes right to the heart of the matter, and looks this man in the eye and goes, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes right to the heart of it. Listen, Nicodemus was a prominent Jew. He was a leader of the Pharisees, a teacher of the law. This is a very influential and, and powerful and important person. But now we see Jesus encountering someone quite different. 
The woman at the well, she is, she's not prominent in any way. She holds no power, no authority, and no influence. She is not really known by anyone outside of the public knowledge of her failing and her sin and her sinful past. We don't even know her name. And yet, Jesus pursues her. He pursues her. And that's what I want us to see this morning is the pursuing nature of Jesus and the gospel and the life-giving satisfaction found in Christ. That's the two things. That's the two things that Jesus pursues and Jesus satisfies. And as we see this pursuing uh, satisfying nature of Jesus put on display here, we will also witness Jesus put on an absolute clinic in evangelism. He is going to put on a clinic, a model for us to follow in how to share the good news and how to evangelize. And, and, and so it's not only that we get to see how he does it, we get to see the fruit of what happens when we share the good news. So let's jump in our first point, and that is this, that Jesus pursues. Jesus is a pursuing Savior. What do I mean by that? As we read this story, I see over and over again that Jesus is pursuing this woman. He is chasing after her heart. He is chasing her down for a relationship, listen, that she doesn't even know she needs. She doesn't even know she needs this relationship. But that's, that's what Jesus does, isn't it? Jesus pursues us for a relationship with him. And apart from that pursuit that he had of me, I would still be lost. Which is to say what? Is to say that I did not find Jesus. Jesus found me. Jesus found me. I didn't find him. I didn't just magically one day go, ah, I guess I'll decide to try this. No, he found me. He revealed to me that I was a sinner. He, I couldn't see it until he opened my eyes to see it. And then I saw that I was a sinner. And then not only did he do that, he began to reveal that he alone was the satisfaction. He was the healing of my sin sickness. He opened my eyes to see my sinful condition and his glorious remedy for it. I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me and he found you. And that is what we see here, that Jesus is pursuing this broken woman. And that, there's three or four ways here that I think he is showing us this pursuing nature, that he's chasing after, that that is a part of evangelism. We go after. Here's the first thing I see. He goes out of his way to meet her. He goes out of his way to meet her. John chapter 4, right there, verse 4. And it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, it's important that we know that the Jews hated the Samaritans. They hated the Samaritans. They believed them to be an inferior race. They believed that they worshiped uh, the wrong things in the wrong places and in all the wrong ways. And yet in verse 4, right here in John 4, it says, and Jesus had to pass through Samaria. I want you to know the reality is he didn't have to. Most Jews hated the Samaritans so much that when they navigated from the southern region of Judea to Galilee, they didn't go through it. They went around it. That's, they, that's how much disdain there was for the Samaritan people. So Jesus 
uh, and, or most Jews would uh, navigate to the east and go up the Jordan River to Galilee and go, they would rather go around Samaria than go through it. So what is it when it says Jesus had to pass through Samaria? It's important that we understand this is not a directional necessity. It is a gospel necessity. It is not a directional necessity that he had to pass through. It is a gospel necessity. There was someone there that needed to engage the good news. There was a heart that needed to be chased down. And Jesus was pursuing her. And he would not be deterred. That's the first thing in this idea that Jesus pursues. And that is he went out of his way to meet her. Second thing I see there is that he initiates the conversation with her. He speaks up first. Right there in, in John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, give me a drink. Jesus speaks first. He is pursuing her. And the moment she enters the scene, he speaks to her. That's under, it's important that we understand. It would have been um, the normal behavior for a Jewish man if he is encountered by or near a Samaritan woman, not only to ignore her completely, but to remove himself from her presence. That Again, that's the disdain that we see. He wouldn't have stuck around, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus settles in at the well, and he speaks to her first. You know, uh, Carrie and I went to East Texas Baptist University over in Marshall about eight or nine lifetimes ago. And uh, you, can, you can feel for us because we moved our daughter in there this weekend. And, oh, man, it hurts. It hurts. Has anybody ever moved a kid into college? Okay. Y'all didn't warn me at all. Y'all didn't say nothing, man. That hurt. Um, so we got her moved in. But when Carrie and I were there, uh, the, we were in the cafeteria. And we didn't know one another. We met at ETBU. And one day in the cafeteria, which was the cool place to hang out, I guess, uh, we were sitting at tables, and we kind of had our backs to one another. And she had seen this, this very handsome, mysterious man walking around campus for some time. And you ain't got to laugh at that. That's true. And um, so she had seen me, and, and it's important for you to know that she really did like me first. That's a point of contention in our marriage, but it's true. And I think I'm about to prove the point. So we're sitting in the cafeteria, back to back. She's talking to her friends. I'm, I'm maybe sitting with someone I can't even remember. And she taps me on the shoulder. And she invites me to go to a concert with her and her friends in Edmond, Oklahoma. See a guy named Dennis Jernigan. Maybe you guys never even heard of him, a Christian musician. And so um, she invites me to come along with her and her friends and to go to this concert. We didn't know one another. But from that moment, God ignited a friendship that began to grow and to develop. And now, all these years later, he has blessed us with marriage and ministry and amazing kids. And, but you know where it started? It started with a shoulder tap and an invitation. She spoke first. She engaged me in a conversation. And then God used that and, and began to do something that I didn't see coming, that she didn't see coming. She was just being sweet to someone who looked probably lonely and sad, and she just invited us. <laughs> she was like, hey, you look, you definitely have nothing else to do. Come on, let's go. <laughs> so there we went. But my point is, that's what Jesus does with the woman at the well. 
He doesn't wait for everything to be right. He, doesn't, he, he engages her. Church, if we are going to live on mission, we are going to have to speak up and we are going to have to speak first. That's what Jesus does. He goes out of his way to meet her. He initiates the conversation. Here's something else I see. He breaks through all the barriers to engage her. He breaks through all the barriers to engage her. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Again, they ha- the Jews hated the Samaritans. And the reason they hated them was because they considered them inferior. There were cultural and social, but most difficult of all, religious obstacles between them. The reason the Jews hated them is because they believed them to be um, inferior. The reason they believed that was because 400 plus years before, when Nehemiah rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem, you remember that, and he led the remnant back to Jerusalem. They were invaded by an invading nation, and some of the Jews that stayed intermarried with these with this invading nation, and that became Samaria. Well, the Jews who stayed to themselves, who stayed pure, if you will, looked upon that group of people as having been less than. And so for 400, almost 450 years, there's this chasm between Jews and Samaritans. And yet, here is Jesus, meets this lady in the heat of the day, and engages her. So there's all these now. So not only was she of the of a group of people that were considered less than, but it's also important to understand that in her group she was considered the bottom of her people. Why do I say that? There's a reason she would wait to come draw water in the heat of the day. There's a reason she waited till then. The rhythm of most ladies would have been to come early in the morning before it was too hot. It was a social place. They would catch up. They would visit. They would get their water for the day. They would make their way back. She waited until the hottest part of the day. Why? Because she had no desire to be around those other people. She was hiding. She didn't want to connect with them. And yet, so she comes at this moment when she thinks it is safe and she meets Jesus. I want you to see the distance between Jesus Christ the holy, perfect Son of God, and this Samaritan woman here at this well. And it's important to recognize that the distance between him and her is the same distance that existed between Jesus and me before he captured my heart. It's the same distance. It's important that we, that we know who we are in these stories, isn't it? It's important that we know who we are. We're not the heroic Savior. That's not who I am. I am the outcast woman who doesn't even know what I need. That's the role I play in this story. That's me. So Jesus goes out of his way to meet her. He initiates the conversation. He breaks through all the barriers to engage her. And here's the last thing I want you to see. He does not relent in pursuing her. He doesn't relent in pursuing her. In verses 10 through 15, and then through a conversation about worship, over and over again, she doesn't get it. She doesn't understand. He says, give me a drink. You don't have anything to draw water with. What are you talking about? Well, if you would have asked me, I would give you living water. 
Well, I don't know what that is. But Jesus said, well, I would give it to you and it would well up to eternal life. Well, give me this water. I don't want to have to come out here in the heat of the day. Over and over and over again, she doesn't get it. And yet he does not relent. He does not give up. He does not pass her off or write her off. He continues to pursue her heart. Listen to me. There are going to be people that you engage with the gospel who simply aren't going to get it. They're not going to get it. They may even reject it when you share it. That is not the moment to write them off. That is the moment to dig in and continue the pursuit. Some of you are sitting in this room this morning as grateful believers in Jesus Christ because someone didn't stop. Someone would not quit praying. Someone would not quit telling. Someone would not quit sharing. And that is what Jesus is doing. He goes out of his way to meet her. He initiates the conversation. He blows through the cultural, social, and economic and religious barriers. And then he does not relent in pursuing her heart. He is putting on a clinic for evangelism. I want you to see that pursuing chasing after nature of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. Jesus pursues. Jesus satisfies. <clears throat> Look back again at verse 10 through 15. I just talked about those. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. So that, I may, so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Jesus is trying to reveal a need in her life, that there is a satisfaction she needs that she doesn't have, and she's not going to find it at the bottom of that well. What she needs is not down there. And Jesus is trying to mine out of her this truth Listen, when Jesus began to engage this woman with this conversation, you have to know that he knew her public past. He knew the failed relationships, and he knew her secret sin that she was living in. Look at verse 16 through 18. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you. You've had five, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus point out her sin? Was it to be cruel? This is very forward. This is very frank. Anybody ever had the Lord, the Holy Spirit, just be very forward and call your sin out? Right? Drag it out into the light. This is very forward. He says, go call your husband. Mm, don't have one. I know. You've had five. The one you're living with now is not your husband. Was he being cruel? Was he being unkind? Was he being unloving? By no means. By no means. Listen. It was an absolute expression 
of his redeeming love toward her, that he would reveal her sin. And believer, it is absolutely an expression of his redeeming love toward you that he would reveal your sin. Matt, that can't be. That just can't be. I am telling you, it's true. Why? Because in the revelation of my sin, beneath those layers of rebellion and sinfulness and fallenness, there is beneath that hard heart, there is something that needs to be mined out. There is something that needs to be unearthed. There is a precious jewel down there, and he's trying to help her get to it, and he's trying to help you get to it. And what is that jewel? It is a recognition that I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. That is a precious diamond. And once you see it, now you you are in a position to see Jesus as the satisfaction of that need. But until you see your sin, which is to say this, if you were in here this morning and and you were in a rhythm of trying to manage your sin, you're trying to manage it, managing the behavior, trying to make sure it's not really seen, nobody really knows, I'm going to manage it, try a little harder this week, Uh, you know, just... A little, little harder effort, a little more focus. I'll get it under control. I'll rein it in. That is not how this works. It is absolutely loving that Jesus would drag your sin out of the darkness into the light. Why? Because the moment we do that, you are able to acknowledge that you need a Savior. And that's what he's doing with this woman. It may not have felt loving But indeed it was. He had revealed her greatest need. Not only did he reveal her need, he also revealed that he knew all of the ways she was trying to fix herself. I know nobody else in here has struggled with trying to fix yourself, but she was really trying hard to fix herself. You know, we use a, uh, a way of sharing the gospel here called the three circles. There's Uh, uh, pictures of it out in the lobby. We have it in our student room. We have it in our kids ministry area, the three circles. And we we believe that it is a great way to share your faith. And it begins with this. The first circle is God's design, that God has a good design, but that design was broken by sin, was broken by sin, and that it has led to the second circle, which is our brokenness. We live in a broken world. This lady lived in a broken world, and off of that broken world, we see all of these um, uh, efforts that, that we make to try to fix our brokenness, and Jesus identifies those. One failed relationship after another, one failed marriage, one failed uh, uh, connection to a man after another. She is trying over and over and over again to fix her brokenness, and it's easy to look at that and go, wow. Five husbands, and she's living with somebody she's not married, and to pass judgment. But the reality is, we are constantly stretching and grabbing at things to try to fix our brokenness. Relationships. Some of you believe that if you just find the right person, it'll all be all right. A relationship doesn't fix your brokenness. Jesus does. Some of you are believing that if I get that next promotion and my family has the right amount of 
of money and we're saving in the right way and we have that, that buffer and that, that I really think we need to get to, that's when I'm going to feel satisfied. No, what I'm telling you, just like a relationship, that's just going to lead to more brokenness. Some of you, that plays itself out through addictions to alcohol or to prescription pain medications or to pornography or to any number of things. All of these things that we grab at to try to make ourselves feel satisfied. And she had grabbed at one thing after another. And Jesus has said, you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> you don't have to do that. I will give you living water and it will satisfy like nothing else. So what is this cycle she was in? What is this one relationship after another? I would contend with you this morning that she did not know it, but what she was doing was searching. She was searching for the living water. She was, she was looking for that abundant life that we read about in John. She was looking for that peace that passes understanding. She was looking for that abounding hope of Romans 15. She was looking for that glorious joy of 1 Peter chapter 1. She didn't know that, but that's what she was trying to, uh, to, to attain and bring into her life. If you, this morning, feel, a, feel an angst, because you are realizing that you have labored with all sorts of things to try to fix your brokenness. I want you to know that's a good thing. What that tells me is the living water is trying to get to a part of your life so it can bring healing. Living water is trying to touch some places in your life where it can bring nourishment and life where things were dead. You know, this week I was reading and preparing and I came across something I didn't know before. Some of you have probably heard of it called a resurrection plant. You guys ever heard of this thing? A resurrection plant. Okay, y'all got to go to science class, okay? So here's what this thing is. It is a plant that remains closed. It's a desert plant, and it is dry, and it is hard, and it is brittle, and it looks very much dead. I want you to see this little clip. This is a resurrection plant. If you were to pick that up, you could crush it in your hand into dust, and yet... I want you to notice what happens when that little bit of moisture passed over. That little bit of water hit those roots. All of a sudden, this dried up, hard, uh, inward folded in, decaying plant begins to come to life. It begins to wake up. It begins to open up. The things that were brown and dying all of a sudden begin to change colors to a green and an orange. There's life where it was dead before, and all it needed was a little bit of water to touch its roots and start to bring life again. That is what the gospel does. The gospel, this living water Jesus is talking about, he's trying to help her understand, understand you don't need a relationship, you need a satisfaction that no man can bring. You need living water. And when it touches your life, you don't go from bad to good. You go from dead to alive. That's what he's trying to show her. You need living water. And that's what it does. It passes into our life. It begins to reach into those areas where we have been hard-hearted and closed off. And it begins to wake us up to his glory into a life of satisfaction we did not know before. There is a pursuing nature to the gospel. Jesus pursues us 
chases us down. And there is a satisfaction that we can have in Him and in nothing else. That living water. And listen, that gospel satisfaction that we feel, that we have when we experience that new life, when we experience that living water that wells up to eternal life, that satisfaction that we attain from a relationship with Jesus, it is contagious. It becomes something that we, we feel compelled to see experienced in others. And she's no different. The woman at the well is no different. Look at verse 28. So she, she meets Jesus. He reveals that he is Messiah. And in verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, what people? The very people that she had built a rhythm of hiding from, the very people that she would come in the heat of the day so that she didn't have to interact with. And now all of a sudden, having met Jesus, having had her sin revealed, having experienced the living water, it says she left the water jar and she ran into the town and said to the people, verse 29, come, See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. She had experienced the living water. And what was she compelled to do? To run to somebody else and say, come and see. Come and taste. Come and taste that the Lord is good. Come and hear what I've heard. Come experience what I've experienced. Let me ask you. If you have lived your life with no desire to share the good news, could it be that you haven't received it yet? Could it be that you've played church? Could it be that you're just really good at doing this, but you've never experienced the life-transforming power of the gospel? Because when Jesus enters a space, the space is different forever. We don't stay the same. She experienced the living water, and she was compelled to run to the people. Now, I want you to see what happens when this contagious, satisfying gospel is given, is told, and is shared. Look at verse 39, the last few verses I want us to look at. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. She didn't have a testimony at noon. She didn't have a story at noon. But she met Jesus, and she's got one now. And she ran and told them. And it says, many believed because of her testimony. Believer, listen to me. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have a story And that story is meant to be shared. It is meant to be given. And the thing that brought you life is meant to move through you to see it given to someone else. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he told me all that I ever did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And watch what happens over two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What happened because she was willing to go and tell? A revival broke out in her city. That's what happened. A revival broke out and many, many people came to faith in Jesus because of her testimony. I want to see that here. I want to see it in Gilmer and I want to see it in Longview. Do you want to see a revival break out in our city? 
where hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus Christ, where they are set free from the bonds of addiction, and for the first time, they taste the living water, and it wells up in them to eternal life. I want to see that. Do you know where that starts? In these seats. In this room is where it begins. But God help us, it can't stay in this room. We have to be willing to pursue. We have to be willing uh, to go out of our way. We have to be willing to speak up and speak first. We have to be willing to break through the barriers that separate us from those who don't know Jesus. And we have to be willing to pursue and pursue and not relent until Jesus has captured their heart because he is the only one who can satisfy. So here's what I want us to do this morning. Um, I'm asking that if you have lined up your heart with ours, and you, want to, and you want to see a revival break out. You want to see this transformation where many upon many upon many come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I am asking you this morning, we are going to pray for our city. We are going to pray for our city, for Gilmer, Texas, right here. We're going to pray for Longview, Texas, and we're going to beg God to do a work. And you can do that in your seat, or you can join me at this altar. I invite you to come down. I don't care if all of you come. Come down, let's get at this altar, and let's beg God to move. And then let's stand up, linked arm in arm, and go out into the world and share about the pursuing, all-satisfying good news of Jesus Christ. I want to see a revival break out, but it starts right here. If you're in here this morning, and your confession would be, I have never experienced the living water. I have not given my heart to Christ. Then you can come take one of us by the hand, and it would be our great joy to, to help you with that and to experience that living water with you. So that's how I want us to respond. I want us to beg God to do something that only he can do and begin to transform our city and for it to begin right here with us. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Father, I am so thankful uh, for the transformative power of the gospel. God, thank you that you pursued me when I didn't even know what I needed, that you gave me life, Father, living water, when I was dead, when I was closed up, when I was hard-hearted, you gave me living water. That you have satisfied the deepest needs of my soul, Lord. And I am praying that for those of us that have experienced that, we would turn our eyes toward you and our hearts toward those who need that same good news. So, Lord, we love you. Help us in this moment to respond in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand. Let's worship.